0: Whatever y'all did on the
1: back to back in LA, don't do it tonight. That team wasn't better than us.
0: Be ready. It's easy. What you mean?
1: Because I kind of had it going.
0: Give me a chance to be great. I want to be great.
1: Some people call those winning characteristics. A group of hungry individuals. It ain't sweet. He can do everything, he's just nice. You trying to put the league on notice? I'm not that excited because we got more to do, so. Welcome to the Wolves Watch Podcast. I'm Dan Radke, and I'm joined as always by Ricky Jim Bruno. Rick, how are you today?
0: I'm doing well, man. How are you?
1: Good, good. We're recording live after an exciting Vikings win at home against the Lions, so that was great. It's about 345 Central on Sunday the 25th. We are back to continue our run through the divisions, and we are back in the Eastern Conference to cover the Central today. So, as I have with every episode, Rick, it's getting redundant at this point, but I'm going to let you lead. This is a this is a division that uh, got a lot more interesting this off season. Uh, the Cavs are in this division, so obviously the blockbuster Donovan Mitchell trade makes Cleveland a hell of a lot more interesting to talk about. But overall, thoughts on this division, top to bottom?
0: Yeah, I mean, each one of these teams, I think, faces a central question about kind of where they are in the arc of uh, the players that they have on their team and really inflection points for the future here. And I think every team without question has one of those. So while I don't, I think it's probably pretty fair to say this is the most boring division that we've done as far as teams for this season, but they all are kind of at interesting stages of their development. That's my dog, of course. Um, what, what are your overarching thoughts before we start alphabetical with Chicago?
1: You know, we talked the other day, and we talked that this may be, you know, a shorter episode than traditionally we're used to in this series, just because there's not a lot of, not a lot of interest between the two of us for most of the teams uh, in this division. But I kind of, as I was thinking about this before we started recording, I I want to change my tune on that, Um, and it's it's for the reason that you just said. All of these teams, for their own reasons, are very interesting when it comes to this upcoming season, deciding the direction they're going, where they think they are in the pecking order of the league, and what that means for this season, the upcoming trade deadline, preparation for the upcoming draft in some cases. Um, lots of interesting player development stories with some of these teams. So, uh, let's just roll right into it alphabetically as we always do. Let's start with, uh, Chicago. Uh, this is the team I'm probably least interested in talking about within this division. So we can get them out of the way early here. Um, over under is set at 43 and a half. Uh, they famously last year, uh, were a 46 win six seed in the Eastern conference started off very hot. And then injuries kind of derailed them. Uh, They were able to hold on to one of the top six seeds, so they weren't in the play-in mix. But uh, pretty devastating injuries with this team. Um, And that continues, unfortunately, into this season with a guy you and I love so much in Lonzo Ball, who had yet another... uh, Procedure on his left knee here recently, and is going to be reevaluated in four to six weeks. So you have to assume that means he's going to miss the start of the season. And who knows? You know, again, it's reevaluated in four to six weeks. It's not returning from injury in four to six weeks. Um, so that's unfortunate. And then it's a team, you know, with a core. They extended Zach Levine uh, and gave him the max, which was pretty expected. But they're rolling back to Mar De who had a really surprising uh, season for them last year. Obviously Vucevic, who they require. Acquired via trade, um, it's it's a team that I think you know. In the over under, Vegas has it about right. I mean, that's that feels like a really fair number. Um, do you think, with how loaded, and again, this is a, a redundant topic, but with how loaded the league is, do you think this team has enough to be considered like a like a potential top four seed in this conference?
0: Ooh, I mean, I think that's probably the ceiling if absolutely everything. Goes right and that that the, the key here would be the health of their main guys the development of patrick williams and the surprise emergence of somebody else that's on the roster i think if all of those things happen that's a possibility but i think you know now saying that out loud that's you know that's like a five percent chance it's a very very low chance i think the win total you're right i think you know maybe it's a little bit on the low end but i think it reflects accurately that they are probably in the tier of teams that you know we'd call in the play mix at this point you know you'd think of them as maybe being on the upper end of that but i think it's hard to look at where they stand today how last season ended the ominousness of uh lonzo's knee injury and and feel really excited about the team in fact i i'm might venture to say this is the team that, even with their own fans, has one of the most uninspired kind of vibes heading into the season.
1: Yeah, well, let me ask you a very specific question, one that I have been thinking about most of the offseason. What do you think they're playing at with all of these fucking point guards? Um, You could argue they signed Goran Dragic. You could argue that maybe it's just an emergency play Uh, with Lonzo's uncertainty. But take Lonzo out of it, who obviously would be the starting point guard if he was healthy. They sign Goran Dragic, who has a little gas left in the tank. Good veteran. (laughs) Very little. Yeah, but still, he's a guy that's going to be on the roster that could potentially get some minutes um, in their rotation. They have Io DeSunmu, who last year was kind of a surprise player for them that really was shoved into the rotation due to injuries. And then kind of the forgotten guy, which is Kobe White. Do you think it's a sign that they're preparing, essentially, just to, like, not have one of these guys playing rotation minutes? Do you think they're going to try and do two-point guard lineups? Like, what what do you think this is?
0: Well, I think... Well, and then let's not forget, too, that, you know, DeLon Terry... I believe that's the pronunciation. We'll find out here this season. Just kind of drafted as a tall ball handler at six foot seven, And, True. you know, with you describing the glut of players in that range... Pretty unlikely to see regular minutes if the if, if the rotation is healthy. But I think I think truly, Dan, what they're playing at is it's a and we'll see this with I think Milwaukee when we get there is when you're as top heavy financially as they are, as beggars can't be choosers, you know, like and you kind of just have to take the talent where it comes. And let's let's go let's take that kind of blow by blow, which is Dragich. I think it's generous to say he has a little gas in the tank. I think the fact that he signed with Chicago is kind of proof of that because you would imagine that, I mean, he, he was very bad last year on Brooklyn. He was kind of a non-entity. Obviously he didn't even play for Toronto before then, but that was prearranged. You would have, you would have kind of figured that if he had much more in the tank, he would have even gone back to Miami or perhaps played with his uh, countryman, Luka Doncic, who, that team could absolutely use a ball handler. So I'm not I'm not too encouraged by the presence of Drogic. Um uh, his role last year was more that of and this is the team actually has quite a few of these guys, which is these kind of positionless pit bull guys. It's it's nice for him to have Alex Caruso as a guy he can look at because I think that for you know, a reasonable path for him to have a nice career would be to, to do something kind of like what Alex Caruso has done in his career. And Kobe White, Kobe White is very fascinating to me because he's very young. He'll turn 23 years old soon. Last year, he was a little bit better than he has been in his career. I think it, you could call it a career high. Um, but the luster of him being such a high pick has worn off really quick to the extent where like, there's no conversations whatsoever about him having an extension. But with, with his age and the fact that he did put together a little bit of health at the end of the year, he would be a guy that I would look at. Um, when I was saying that they would need a surprise player to emerge a little bit, I don't think it's out of the question that it could be him. And with his size, and this is the same thing with Io, and this is actually something that they have a feather in their cap here, is both of those guys are tall for being a point guard. And so is Lonzo ball. And so you can get away with playing several of these guys at the same time. And I think that because of the way that their roster is built, that that's probably going to be how this is going to play out is pro And you Levine is a natural guard himself. It's like probably more often than not, they're going to have two quote unquote point guards in the game.
1: Yeah. I think that's probably a fair assessment. Um, the reason, so you're right about Dragic. Um, it, he was basically a DNP last season. Um, the Brooklyn thing, who the fuck? I mean, honestly, the way that that season played and the way that it ended, like, I, I can hardly take
0: anything from that season um, and any that of players was, that were on the, the roster. Greatest YMCA team of all time. That was yeah, not a real team.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was not a real basketball team. And there was so much going on behind the scenes. And the team was so disappointing at the end that it's just like, anybody that was on that roster, I feel like kind of just, you know, you almost need to scrap that from the record. Um, I will say, you know, Lonzo's health, because this is where I came to when I was kind of doing this, is I, I would prefer to believe that Lonzo is going to be able to play once he gets back from this most recent injury, play and play a meaningful number of games in this season. But I think Chicago is obviously hedging that I mean, I would love it. I can't bet that that's going to be the case maybe ever for this guy, given his history and his lower body injuries. Um, The other interesting part of this team is the Vucevic thing. Vucevic... What's interesting about it, Dan? (laughs) um, Well, it goes back to a topic that you and I have covered on the Tough Watch a million times. Fair or unfair, your salary dictates what your production needs to be. So if you are a certain percentage of the team's cap you have to produce a certain percentage of the team's output offensively and defensively to make the money worth it. This was the, the Andrew Wiggins corollary in Minnesota, where it was just like, no, he's a fine player. It's just when he's eating that much money, you can't just be a fine player or the team suffers dramatically. Like, you're basically requiring that somebody making between 3 and $7 million plays like an $18 million a year player to make up for it. Um, Vucevic is in the final year of his contract, $22 million on the books this year. I have not seen a stretch of games, uh, and I have actually watched a fair amount of Chicago. I There hasn't been a stretch of games he's put out there with this team that makes me feel that he can be like a consistently strong contributor for them offensively. And that's the only, that's the only thing he can do because he's notoriously bad defending the rim. And so if he's going to be a guy that can't give you meaningful offensive output consistently, I just feel like it's going to it's going to hinder what this team can potentially do because it's not nothing that he's eating up that much of the money and producing the way
0: that he is. Well, he, he's kind of an antique at this point, and I think that the more likely situation with him is that they'll extend. And if you extend off of that number, it's not a total disaster, but my argument here would be that his archetype is not a winning one. And it's, it's really, it's not even something that he can control there's really no way he could reorient his game to play a style that would be more conducive to winning in the nba in 22 23 it's just it is what it is and at this point i think what his role would be on a serious team would be bench scorer. and short of that i think that you're putting a really hard ceiling on your team having that sort of player and he, he is a guy that can score the ball efficiently on offense and distribute a little bit. But even having said that, a center, like a lumbering center like that, offense-only center, also puts something of a ceiling on you offensively to say nothing of the defensive limitations. And But they are pot committed with this guy. I think the smartest thing would be to ignore the sunk cost fallacy here and just move on. And you've locked in Levine to a long contract. You know, I it's it's just a really tough situation because the story of that trade is not even complete yet. So famously, they traded... I mean, it was, uh, frankly, one of the worst trades. It could be one of the worst trades in the history of the league, depending on how it finally shakes out. But they traded... Otto Porter, who was on an expiring contract also, so Orlando was able to just get rid of the salary slot. they traded Otto Porter Wendell Carter, who is at this point and probably you could fairly say is already better than Vucevic.
1: and on a bargain contract compared to on a bargain
0: speaking. contract, the draft pick that became Franz Wagner that's that right there is that stings. <laughs> That that's that is a disaster. But wait, there's more. They still owe uh the Orlando Magic, their twenty twenty three next year's pick, top four protected only. Jesus
1: and then Christ.
0: the Jesus following Christ. season it's only top three protected. So like that was a that was a disaster. Like that was even worse than the D'Angelo Russell trade for the Timberwolves. So it, it really hamstrings their their flexibility going forward. And I don't know why we're kind of getting lost in the sauce on this one. It's just that that was such a bad transaction. And I feel like not even enough people are aware of how bad of a transaction it was that it's always worth mentioning it. Um, I mean, where do you – it's just – it's tough. When we talk about uninspiring, it's it's interesting because they have – they almost have, like, Dan, like the lowest – level of top tier type of guys if this makes sense so it's like Levine is definitely like a number one right but he's definitely a low end number one yes. probably one of the worst number ones you could have same with Vooch same with DeRozan their young core it's kind of the same thing it's not like it's completely bare but it's also there's no no one you can point to and say like this guy's elite and yep. then same with their coach they have a competent coach at a you know neutral or positive value coach but not the type of guy that you would look at and be you don't you don't get the same type of excitement that we do from like chris Finch.
1: no um i'm gonna do two things real quick and we're running way long on chicago but i'm comfortable with it because there's two more things i want first is a trivia question and we'll breeze by it rick how andre drummond and nikola Vucevic? first of all who's younger how many years?
0: Uh, let's see here. Probably, probably three years, I would guess.
1: Two two months short of three years. Congratulations! Okay. Ding ding ding! Very much.
0: Um, very much.
1: But I, I only bring that up because that's the other thing about this Vucevic deal. So like league wide, and Andre Drummond is seen now as like a journeyman backup center that will run out the remainder of his career playing that role. Nikola Vucevic is three years older than Andre Drummond. So to your point, going forward. I think they're in the same tier, <laughs> I mean, frankly. Well, and so that's the thing. It's like, it just depends on what your team needs. Because I agree with you. Like Andre Drummond is a much better rebounder and much better defender, but Nikola Vucevic is obviously a much better offensive player. Um, so here's what I would say. You mentioned the idea of just getting off this Vucevic money and, I agree with you. Like, they need to let it expire and they need to move on. That is what you need to do. Teams that make catastrophically bad transactions, you pay a 3-4, sometimes depending on picks, five-year penalty for that bad choice. Chicago, that's why this season is so fascinating to me. Chicago, if they were to hover right around this over-under number, which again, for the listeners, is 43 and a half, that is catastrophic because that means you're a play-in team owing a pick next season, and you also, if you were to hover around that number, it means either through injury or just the league kind of surpassing the talent that you have, you're just straight up not good enough. And where does that leave you?
0: Yeah, they're going up the eighth pick in the draft again next year.
1: It's it's not. It, that's why I wanted to to do this with Chicago. It's like this season is fascinating. Because it could really be the beginning, I, the beginning of the end, I guess you could say, for this particular group. But it's probably like the worst example that we've seen in the well, league of particular this particular group
0: is one season deep. That's, that's what I'm saying. Thing. Like they completely sold out to have a 46 uh, win team last year.
1: Yeah, and like my point is beginning of the end, and it's the worst one of the worst examples we would have seen in that instance, because A, you just brought it up, the amount of time that this group has been together. And then secondly, you're really left with no path forward outside of Levine on the Mac. So you're back to almost like rebuilding, quite honestly.
0: Yeah. And well and here's you, here's the only argument, Dan, that I could see that I think is an acceptable argument. And this has been posited by a few people, which is that the Chicago Bulls, as a brand, was distressed in the in the post-Tom Thibodeau years. And they are punching well below their weight for the, the legacy of the franchise and the market size that is Chicago. And so they needed to make some moves to reestablish themselves as a serious franchise with players. Kind of like in the same range that the Knicks perpetually find themselves in.
1: Yeah. Yep. So let's do the quick over under and we'll move off Chicago uh, 43 and a half, I have the over, but I did it at 44. I think this number is right for this team. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Basically, the number for me is somewhere between 42 and 46.
0: Yeah, I, I did go. On- I went under. I-, I ended up just scratching wins off of them because I wasn't you know, inspired by them. But I agree with you. I think that's the more likely scenario. I put them at 38, which would be big under.
1: (laughs) Holy cow.
0: (laughs) Big time under. Well, here's the thing, man. It's like they just are relying on Levine has some injury history as well. Lonzo, it sucks, man. But Lonzo at this point, I think you just have to assume he's not going to be around Um, or at least he's not going to play a quantity of games that's going to Really impact your win and loss in the end of the year. And I think it's very possible we could be looking at some regression here from Vooch and DeMar DeRozan. So, totally yeah. And, and I think just in general, when, when you have kind of the lack of vibe around the team, that malaise, I think that more likely than not, you're going to be a little less than the sum of your parts.
1: Yeah, if, if they go 38 wins this season, that is combustible in Chicago. That is going to be rough. Um, so let's move from Chicago, who we admittedly said we did 20 minutes, but we admittedly said we weren't very excited about them, uh, to a team we are extremely excited about, um, Timberwolves well, East.
0: three minutes on them.
1: Yeah, <laughs> Timberwolves East, the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, who's – Obviously projected win loss jumped uh, a little bit after the Donovan Mitchell trade. They're at forty six and a half wins, uh, which I think is a pretty disrespectfully low number uh it's given how it, ho-
0: Dan. How could that be three two and a half wins above the bulls?
1: Yeah, it's um it's kind of amazing. So they made this Donovan Mitchell trade and uh you know, we just got done talking about the Vooch trade and how much of a disaster that's gonna be for Chicago. Part of a blockbuster trade, um is the ability to fit that incoming player into your your existing framework and how well that fits together. Because if it's not a perfect fit, you're relying really heavily, not only on the players uh, on the roster, but also particularly the coach, to create a system that will allow everybody to kind of be their best self. This trade seems about as plug-and-play as a superstar trade that I've seen. Um, he slides seamlessly into the two-spot alongside Darius Garland in the backcourt, with Okoro at the three, Evan Mobley at the four, and Jared Allen at the five. That is a preposterously good starting five and so yeah. well constructed and fit together. This is probably my favorite starting five going into the season. Where are you at?
0: Well, yeah, if they could have just, if they could even just, and, and it, a lot of it, a lot is going to fall on Okoro's shoulders here, even though, Akoro, which is really funny because, you know, he's going to have such a like hilariously low usage in that starting lineup, but like it they I agree with you if they could basically like swap a coro out for like Reggie Bullock. You know what I mean? Like a sure. pure role player type of guy. And um, shooting. But I agree yeah. But I agree with you. I mean this is the the starting lineup is is absolutely elite. I think that it's a starting lineup that functions well both to pile up regular season wins, but I also think that when the playoffs are all around having to defend both of those guards is going to be a nightmare. And uh, most teams just frankly don't have the bandwidth to be able to deal with two high volume pick and roll operators that can get to the rim, create for others, but also create difficult step back shots for themselves. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, to to have this team at 46 wins when you're acquiring a multi-time All-Star that has made the playoffs every year of his career, and is 26 years old. And you're adding it to a young team that what did they win 43, 44 last year? Uh, How?
1: He, 44 last year. So two and a half I mean, wins I above. Been, yeah, man,
0: I would have been over this number without Donovan Mitchell.
1: Yeah, I would. I agree with you. 46 and a half to me seemed like the win-loss total if no Donovan Mitchell trade happened. Just natural progression of the existing pieces that they had. Um, I also want to say to, to complete this trade and be left with the bench depth that they have is the other part of this that makes it unique. Because a lot of times, you know, we mentioned this with the Timberwolves kind of executing the same type of trade where it's like, wow, all the core pieces still exist. You didn't sacrifice depth. It's, it's really rare to see this. We saw it twice in an off season and their bench unit, they have Raul Neto, Karis Levert, K Love, Robin Lopez, Chetty Osman, Dean Wade, who just signed a contract extension yesterday. It is a, I mean, yeah, it Dean is.
0: Wade. But Dean Wade could maybe find himself in that three spot. He's a little oversized for it, but he could maybe be that role guy we're talking about.
1: Yeah, or Chetty. Like honestly, depending on how poro yeah. you know what I mean. Like it's um, it's a team that will be able to, as the season goes on, obviously just due to talent alone and fit, they will be able to stack up regular season wins but the other part of this trade and this is what i find really fascinating uh kind of the juxtaposition between the utah donovan mitchell teams and the the existing cleveland team is donovan mitchell has never been around this type of high-end young talent and specifically i want to talk evan mobley because of his right now evan mobley is in his absolute infancy but it appears from everything we've seen thus far that evan mobley will be jack of all trades master of all which, yeah. <laughs> which, which makes it like master
0: almost, of all trades.
1: <laughs> yeah. And it's like, if that, if his progression continues the way we expect Darius Garland, obviously made a giant leap last year. There's absolutely no signs that he's not going to continue at least incrementally to improve.
0: Yeah, oh, and okay. Dan, if, if Darius Garland just remains the caliber of player, he currently is for like the next six seasons, that's you great. know, he's like on his way to having a hall of fame career. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and the other thing too and this is what really happened with Cleveland last year and why they they didn't, you know, press for 50 wins is Jared Allen's absence late in the season. Yeah. J- Jared Allen was their their defense. He was their rim protection, he was their Rudy Gobert. Everything funneled to Jared Allen and he was insanely good at defending the rim without fouling. Him coming back fully healthy surrounded by this group, I just I mean, I'll just get to the number. I have them not only clearing it. This is my one seed in the Eastern Conference at 56
0: wins. Thank you very much, Me too. Same thing. And uh, I just, to me, this is the easiest money I could imagine. I mean that if they have everything, like we talked about in the podcast when they acquired Donovan Mitchell that evening, um, by all accounts, Ricky Rubio is ahead of schedule on his injury recovery. I'm sure that they will baby it, but I think it's also safe to say that he will. He will factor in heavily when when it matters kevin love is among the most overqualified bench players you could have in the league he has success this is what we prescribe for Vucevic. like he has successfully bought in to the future of his career should he choose it and if he and if he can stay relatively healthy there's no reason he can't play for like five more years and it's just that very few guys are able to actually make that transition mentally. And it really seemed like he was not going to be able to. Um, It seemed like he was really had a couple of bad years there. Um, Just like, even just with his attitude, but he's, he looked amazing last year. I think he totally understands what his role is and is all about it. You say you have those two dudes plus Karis LaVert off the bench. That's a really, really nice some off the bench even though Levert did not play all that well last year for them I mean it's just there's not much not to like uh their biggest weakness last season they had two real weaknesses they still have the one at the three spot the other one was after Colin Sexton went down after Ricky Rubio went down they had one guy that can dribble no longer the case and so yeah I'm all about it the only thing I can see standing in their way is some injuries
1: yes um and I'll, I'll just put a bow on the Cavs thing. We talked a ton about this team. For anybody wanting deeper thoughts on the Cavs from Ricky and I, you can go back to our Donovan Mitchell emergency pod, where we covered this team for 45 minutes. Um, th- this team, you know, Karis LeVert, you mentioned he didn't play well last year. Ca- if Karis LeVert is going to carve out like a long-term role in this league, this is the exact type of team that he has to play on. He will never outside of injury be in a starting lineup, which is justified. And that's... Not, not again, no. Yeah. And coming off the bench, the dude just sees buckets. And to be fair, I think the Cavs, given who they have on the bench, are kind of going to be comfortable with that arrangement. So if he's going to carve out a role, this is going to be where he needs to show, no, I can do this and I can do this fairly efficiently. Um, I
0: think, you know, he's got a good role. Like we said with Kevin Love and Ricky Rubio, he's got two good role models ahead of him and. You know, I understand it's that this is a tough message to deliver to guys, and it's a blow to your ego, especially Karis Levert. Still relatively young; he's not thirty yet. But you know, the you're right. The truth of the matter is, if he can make this adjustment, well, just like I said about Kevin Love, he'll be he'll be in the league for a very long time. Like we're gonna get to Milwaukee here sooner than later, and like Wesley Matthews is playing it deep into his thirties. You know what I mean? And so like. Karis LeVert, you want to play deep into your 30s, this is what you got to do. Absolutely.
1: Um, let's move to Detroit. Um, this is a an elite-level tough-watch team uh, going into the season. Um, so the Detroit Pistons were a 23-win team last year, um, obviously in, in the first kind of year of their rebuild with Cade Cunningham taking the floor. And this team is going to be their elite tough watch uh they're an elite tough watch team for a couple of reasons number one, obviously they're young and likely not going to be very good from a win loss perspective. Number two, cool. they have several second contract guys retread guys that they're giving opportunities to um that could that could end up you know kind of being a boon for them the buy low guys they have developmental projects in rookie Jaden Ivey uh Killian Hayes still on the roster um Isaiah Stewart Sadiq Bay and Kate Cunningham uh and they made a trade recently for Boyan Bogdanovich who you know obviously is going to start for them Um, this so the starting five projected would be Cade Jaden Ivey Sadiq Bay Boyan Bogdanovich and Marvin Bagley or Isaiah Stewart depending on what you want to do there probably Marvin Bagley though he played pretty well for them late Um, I so this team is not going to win many games But this is a team that if they were in like 2005, 2006, like this is a pretty good basketball team. Uh, 2022, 2023, it's not going to lead to a ton of winning, but very interesting. They seem to be building something real in Detroit. And I think this will be their first year where you're going to start to see kind of the seeds grow out of the ground. They've just been planting seeds at this point, which will be a really exciting thing to monitor as the season goes on.
0: Yeah, I, I frankly like having a coach like Dwayne Casey and an executive like Troy Weaver at the wheel for a team that is built this way. Because when you have a coach like Dwayne Casey, he's a he's a consummate professional. He's a lifer. He's the type of guy that these players really you should want somebody like that that has that gravitas and that they will look to as a mentor, you know, it's kind of like the difference of when the Timberwolves swapped out Brian Saunders, who at the time, you know, the team was super young. So it was more like a peer than anything for Chris Finch, who just immediately commanded that respect from the guys from just being experienced. So I really like having, I really like having Dwayne Casey there because I think it just sets the tone that, and this is what you and I have always I think we're this is where you and I fall right now on how you should rebuild is I think it sets the tone that we are not tanking. We just do not have enough talent to win. And that there's a real distinction there. Um, where everything about how we're going to operate is going to be that of a winning organization, but we have intentionally built the team with enough young guys that we won't be able to win anyway.
1: Yeah, no, and that's a really important distinction that you just made. It's a perfect point. Some teams lose a lot of basketball games. That is not due to a lack of trying. A lot of times that's just a team in a developmental phase of their rebuild, as opposed to teams that are actively basically throwing basketball games to try and lock up a draft
0: slot. we got an interim coach. we got a front office that's about to be fired. You know, it's just a waste of everybody's time.
1: It is. And this team also has uh some last call guys. Uh I'm officially calling it. Last call for Kevin Knox, last call for Killian Hayes. Yeah. Might be might be last call for Nerlands Noel, who Jalen Duran could just supersede him, possibly, um, if he's not uh not able to put it together. It's you know, and again, even some other guys like Hamadou Diallo and Rodney Magruder, like guys that you and I have talked about a lot, Isaiah Livers, like
0: I this know, is... getting a lot of buzz from James Edwards of the, uh, the athletic.
1: Yeah. And it seems like it, what you're going to see in Detroit, and, and I'm very bullish on this. I hope to not be proven wrong as the season goes on. I'm extremely bullish about the guys that they have and the expectation and role that those guys will be put into, um, and that's that's really important for a team like Detroit. It it's kind of the antithesis of what we talked about when we mentioned Houston, where it's like Detroit. Yeah. Detroit has like a lot of dudes, right? But you feel like okay, if they're in the rotation, it's very it's very planned, it's very orchestrated. Like there's a purpose that, to this dude playing. We're gonna determine whether or not this guy can actually be in our rotation, and we're gonna expect him to do some things. And if he can't do them, he's gone. And in Houston, it's really throw shit at the wall and just see what sticks. I just think Detroit. This this is a really, in my opinion, a very buttoned up start to a rebuild. Uh, and I actually loved the Bogdanovich trade too, because again, a team with very few contracts on it, like that's a really good use of some money.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it's 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 the flip side of what we were saying with those top heavy teams, where you know you it's it's almost impossible to have a level of depth without just insane spending into the. Luxury tax. And so when you have a team like this that has zero max guys, the only young ish guy that's on a second contract right now is Marvin Bagley, who's like in the flyer category. Yeah. You're, you're able to add a depth piece like Bogdanovich, which realistically will help your guys develop. Yes. Even if he's just there until the trade deadline. And, but he's also not going to tack on so many wins that you're, afraid that you know it's gonna really damage your draft prospects. And the you know, and the real truth of the matter is if this team is winning on the back of their young players, then you just ride that out and you're like, great, we're a little bit ahead of schedule. You know? Um where do you think the ceiling of this team is? Not long term, because that's still pretty unknown. What's the ceiling of the team this season and you know who, what, how could they actually achieve that?
1: So I think like a ceiling for this team would be like 36 wins, um, which I think would be a, obviously they won 23 games last year. That'd be a phenomenal year. The way it happens is it's second year Cade Cunningham. And if he's a franchise guy, this is when you're going to start to truly see the glimmers of that. Uh, Sadiq Bay, further development. I, you know, me, I'm very high on Sadiq Bay. Jaden Ivy being an impact rookie uh, who can be on the floor, give you meaningful production from that spot? Bogdanovich being a guy who is going to get, you would imagine, some real opportunity here to, you know, be a guy that averages, you know, eighteen, possibly twenty points a game. And then a guy like Marvin Bagley, like I, I was texting about this quite a bit last year, because Rick mentioned on last week's pod that due to his work versus my work, he sees a lot of West Coast games late. I catch a lot of East Coast games early. And I watched a lot of Detroit last year and when Marvin Bagley came, they ended up, you know, signing him. So he's making twelve and a half million going forward annually. And he was really good for them. Like it it seemed like he, he had some of his energy and spark back, getting a change of scenery and leaving Sacramento finally. I think if if a lot of those things come to fruition like, 36 wins is likely attainable. Again, they just don't have enough high-end guys to win more than that. But 36 games would be an unbelievable season for
0: this group. Yeah, me and Troy Weaver are the two biggest stockholders currently of Marvin Bagley. <laughs> at this I, point. Ju- I just like it.
1: I just like it. I can't stop.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, I just it's because, you know why, Dan? It's because he is like the anti-analytics guy, which is when you watch, you're just watching a ball game. He's very tall, he's long, he's athletic, he moves well, and he's relatively skilled. It's just that at to this point in his career, he he and the teams he's been on have not been able to funnel that toward anything that resembles winning basketball. And so but I can understand why you and Troy Weaver though would be high on the the concept of him because he he has tools that you're not really getting on the market for $12 million a year. So what is the overwhelming likelihood? Well, it's that he's the guy that he's been his whole career and that, you know, ultimately he's not going to factor too heavily into their future, but the upside is a lot greater than, you know, what a normal kind of mid-level signing would be. So I have way less of a problem with it than a lot of, you know, the people that we listen to (laughs) do, Um, but I agree with you. Like the ceiling of this team is, I think it's just Cade Cunningham for this season Um, because they also do have other, you know, Jaden Ivey could be a franchise guy. For example, he won't, we won't really know too much about that this year, unless he just really shows out. But the ceiling of the team this year is Cade Cunningham. And if he, is an all-star caliber player, whether he literally makes the all-star team or not, they're just going to be a really tough out. And that, that goes to, you know, the conversation that we've had a lot about the strength of this league is the Utah jazz and the San Antonio Spurs are the only teams that are in year zero of their rebuild. And, you know, Detroit is a team that they're basically in the same tier they were in last season, and they're unquestionably better than they were last season from a talent standpoint.
1: Yeah, and and I want to bring up something that will, that will be discussed with multiple teams going forward and will be discussed throughout the season. Um, you and I have done this for years, and I was so happy to see um, a tweet here recently from John Hollinger where he was expressing that, people need to stop with these contracts referring to the number and refer to it as a percentage of the cap. So right. when, it, when it comes to Marvin Bagley and obviously the TV rights money is going to come in and the cap will go up here in the coming seasons, Marvin Bagley at 12 and a half. Like my argument is last year's Marvin Bagley was already worth 12 and a half. When the cap goes up, you're not sitting on a contract. Again, back to my point about Vooch's oh, money.
0: percent of the cap, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, that's my point. So it's like, you almost have to look at this as though we mentioned with Vooch 22 million and not 22 million in production. 12 and a half million in production, even in the next season, but definitely going forward as this contract ages, it's so difficult for Marvin Bagley as a player to not be able to equate to that type of value on a team. It just is. So um, where did you have them at? So they were twenty three last year Vegas had a five and a half win uh, improvement up to twenty
0: eight and a half. Where did you have none landing Yeah, that's not too bold for me um, i think I think to me this is a pretty easy under they are this is the classic example of are there more paths to be over or under correct very yep. easily under for me I mean when you're talking you we, we just said if everything goes right they're going to win thirty six games so um, i I have them. I have them right in range with Orlando and then the team we're going to talk about next in like the 24 to 26 range. Not out of the question that they could win like 20 games and that wouldn't even necessarily be an indictment on the future of their franchise. It's just that these things happen when you're rebuilding.
1: I agree. Um, I had an under as well. I had them at 27. I do think 23 last year. And again, you can't discount you cannot discount the end of year games like Detroit will be trying to win games and some other teams they play won't be for a variety of reasons. So like, even if they're at 20, you know, going into the last 15 games of the year, it's very likely you can see them peel off like eight wins late, you know?
0: Yeah. But the flip side of that though, Dan, is like if Cade Cunningham suffers an injury early in the season, oh, they that's it. could, you know what I'm saying? Like they'll just pack it in for the year and be like, great. We're, we'll, when Cade Cunningham comes back, we're going to also have Wembin on the team.
1: No, if Cade gets hurt, this is under by a mile. Under by a mile if Cade gets hurt. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, the team you were just referencing, the Indiana Pacers. Uh, another uninspiring bunch. Uh, win total set by Vegas at 24.5, so you can tell that there's a tearing going on with these, these over-unders. That's a full four wins lower than the projection for the Pistons. Uh, this team... You know, this is going to be a rare season for the Pacers, a team that perpetually wants to be at least like somewhat in the mix and not be terrible. It's going to be very hard for them not to be really bad. Um, And that's not to say that they haven't done some really nice things. Um, Tyrese Halliburton is obviously on this roster. Uh, Benedict Matherin was their most recent pick, and you and I are both very high on him. But Buddy Heald and Miles Turner are in constant trade rumors they will both get dealt before the deadline like somebody is going to swoop in and either take them both as a package or take one off their hands at a time I just cannot imagine the way that their names have been bandied about that these these guys are on the roster in March and if you look at the rest of their depth they're just not very good they're just not very good they're gonna lose a ton of games and that is good for the Pacers because to be honest the the sweepstakes for Wemben you were talking about Like between Indiana and San Antonio, like those are the two teams I'm staring at most intently. Where it's like, no, pretty good infrastructure historically. Like, very rarely have had, you know, San Antonio had Duncan, obviously, but like haven't had like a ton of high, high end guys. Probably a great opportunity to take a swing and see if you can land one this upcoming year.
0: Yeah, but the difference between them and San Antonio is they have to actively make that decision. Because if they do not actively make that decision and you have Rick Carlisle as your coach, and you start Halliburton, Duarte, Buddy Hield uh man, they Smith. Have the worst fours <laughs> in the entire NBA yeah it's James so bad Smith or O'Shea Preset, maybe and Miles Turner like that is not a 24 win team like you will not win 24 games with with that starting lineup you know what i mean it's true. so they have to actively choose to do that which to your point they have not done that Uh, To the extent that Benedict Matherin, who was the sixth pick in the draft, was their first top 10 selection in, I don't know how long. It was something like 20, 30 years, right? Um, So I think it's interesting. You would normally say that this is like a fork in the road, but it's really not a fork in the road. It's like deciding to, you know, there's like a freshly paved highway, a freshly paved road. It's like deciding to just go off-road to decide to not tear it down you know what I mean so it's like on one hand you have this thing that's like glaringly obvious it's like do this it's a big shiny thing do it it's gonna make sense it's the right thing to do but on the other hand their instinct is telling them to do the opposite so if they could you know certainly if they could have gotten a deal done for Turner and Buddy Healed, they would have you know what I mean if they could have gotten the requisite picks for them they would have and that hasn't materialized yet but I think your point they are good candidates for i mean 20 teams in the league are trying to go for it this year somebody's going to have a tough time coming out the gates there will be teams that will be there for them to make a trade
1: well just give the lakers 20 games because if they start the season and they're 7 and 13 that second pick that they're staunchly avoiding giving in a trade yeah might come available um the other thing about this team is you're absolutely right. Like it, it seems so obvious uh, that they need to rebuild, but you mentioned like a fork in the road, Indiana has basically been sitting at a fork in the road. Although the pieces around that fork have changed. Like they've basically been a fork in the road team for like damn near a decade since Paul George left. Um, they just, every time the path that they choose at that fork is just to be as competitive as they can with what's available. That's just always been their MO. Um, I think it's, you know, you mentioned who they could start. Uh, that is a starting lineup that would win them too many games. I agree with you. Um, comparatively speaking, I mean, you need to lose a fuckload of games to be in the women Mignogna suite, so they're just going to win too many games to do that. They're not going to win too many games to be like, competitive.
0: I mean, it's t- it's too too tough to say. I mean, we, we we should give them a lot of credit, though, for that Sabonis trade, which yes. I think already, it, it's an, it's one of those odd trades where it's, I mean, I think they clearly won the trade and I think that if oh, I was yeah. the Kings, I would just want to do it, have a do over on that. But like their motives were, were a little bit different there, but to be able to flip Sabonis who, you know, to be generous is just, you know, a style is a difficult stylistic fit for the modern NBA, um, and to be perhaps a little cruder is, you know, just a younger version of Nikola Vucevic. Um, And to turn that into a guy that could potentially be a franchise guard for you is a, is a coup. I mean, at this point now, in just like what 10 months later, I mean, Halliburton is untouchable, but he's also a guy that, I don't know, just for whatever reason you put him on the market, that's like, you compare the amount of firsts you could get first, a bonus, and the first you could get from Halliburton, and it's it's significantly different.
1: No, if it's the stock game, man, like, they they came out ahead by a mile. Like, from a basketball perspective, I would argue they came out ahead. But, I mean, just long-term asset play, like, it's not close. Um, and, it, you know, I set this over-under, or didn't, obviously I didn't set the over-under, but when I was deciding how many wins, so I put them at 22, which is an under, it's because I would bet I would bet on the front office of Indiana coming to their senses and deciding that they need to make sure that they lose games. Now, 22, that even might seem like slightly generous because if they did it early, like if they did it before the season started or shortly after, you would assume like, okay, maybe like 20 is probably closer to what it's going to land at. 22 – I felt more comfortable with because all signs point to them going into the season with Buddy Heald and Miles Turner. And if that's the case, they're going to, they're going to sneak out some wins early in the season, especially at home that are going to unfortunately hurt their chances to get a top pick.
0: Might Tyrese Halliburton be that, that is to me is the, is the fly in the tank ointment here because he very efficiently with them averaged, basically like 18 and 10 and four bounds um, on damn near 50, 40, 90 shooting. Like he just narrowly missed it on the, on the free throw percentage. And he, he did that on 12 shot attempts a game. So if they can, it's not really in his nature to shoot a lot, but clearly they need to get that number way up. And if he could, you know, even just be an efficient 20, just 20 flat point a game scorer, Uh, he's a piece that when you look at the other potential year zero rebuild teams, I mean, he's a, he's a piece that those teams do not have. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Where did you have the number for him? I didn't go that low because to me, there's just like too many, too many ways that they could not, whether it's keeping healed and, and miles Turner, uh, a leap from Tyrese Halliburton, the fact that they have a win now coach, um, so I had them at a slight over at 26, but certainly a stay away for me. I wouldn't bet this one.
1: No, I don't think you can. There's way too much. There's way too many opportunities for them to to change the chairs. Uh, around but
0: I, I will say this, though. There is a potential, though, for that to be a value line because it is so low that I don't think it's completely out of the question that, like, they could start. They could have, like, the Washington Wizards start to the season and still ultimately end up being a lottery team but just kind of bank some wins at the beginning of the year so I think there's potential there for that to be a bargain bet but I wouldn't make it
1: it's so hard because you have Rick Carlisle um, and I'm assuming obviously bringing back Rick Carlisle we don't know the the conversations that were had but you have to imagine that he was given a certain amount of say in in how they they decide to move forward, he's not the decision maker, but I imagine part of it was, hey, we'll take your thoughts into consideration when we're making organizational decisions. I mean, Rick Carlisle is going to want no part of a you know Portland Trailblazers esque uh, tank job from last season where. You know, you kind of, or or OKC, where it's like you faux sit Shea or you faux sit Tyrese Halliburton, you trade Heald and Turner, and you just let the team get completely pounded every night. I got to imagine that Rick Carlisle will do what he can to throw his body in front of that idea.
0: Probably. All right. Well, Dan, let's move on to the best team in the division historically here um, in the last this last little bit. The 2021 NBA champion, Milwaukee Bucks, who I think a lot of people, perhaps both of us included, um, I know definitely I feel this way, believe that if Chris Middleton was healthy last year, that they could have very likely repeated last year. So how do you feel about them going into this season?
1: No, I feel like they're, obviously they're a title contender. I feel like if they're healthy last season, they beat Boston and uh, would have had every opportunity to beat Golden State, especially given what that matchup would have looked like for Giannis.
0: Yeah, dude, that, I would have, to me, I'm, I, I, I would love it if we could get that matchup at some point because it's just, it's just two eras colliding in a way that the Boston Golden State one was not,
1: you know? No, this and this is a, a, uh, it, I hate to even use this terminology, but in basketball terms, that would be – if we could get it this season, like that is your heavyweight bout. Um, it is a heavyweight bout. Gian, because
0: like, there's just no greater contrast in stars than Giannis and Steph Curry.
1: Yeah, and, and complete stylistic differences where it would really be our best against your best. It's not going to look remotely similar. And we are going to try and play our A game because we believe our version of our A game beats anybody in the league. And one of them has to come out. So it would be it would be a great matchup. Love to see it. Um, back to the team itself. Very few changes from last season. Why would you make changes? We just mentioned that they could have won a title likely. Uh, Javon Carter coming on is great. You and I love Javon Carter. Um, so that's a good addition. But, uh, but no, I just think it comes down to this team has looked similar for several seasons now. All the key pieces are back. Chris Middleton will either make his date. It doesn't sound like he's going to make it on opening night, but hopefully he's, or at least start a training camp. Hopefully he's available opening night or shortly thereafter. And uh, with this team, you just simply pray for health. They're a fucking juggernaut in every way.
0: Yeah. They could find some roadblocks here in the regular season because they are exceptionally thin. And they are. This is where the disadvantage of being in Milwaukee Um, really rears its head because, you know, we can talk all we want about, you know, ownership, this, ownership, that. It's just not realistic for anybody that owns the Milwaukee Bucks to spend like they're the Clippers. You know what I mean? And so they, with having three star guys on a max, Giannis obviously on a super-duper max, and having them as deep into their careers as they are, there's just not a really any wiggle room there which is why you see them you know having to pay maybe a little bit over market to keep Bobby Portis and Pat Connaughton because you just can't replace them um so the roadblocks here would just be that um you know they're at a little bit of a motivation deficit because I think that they did conquer their demons in that 21 playoffs and um have an awareness of how, how they can win now in the playoffs. So there's not there's not really much of a motive there to try to figure that out in the reason. And just that they are so incredibly thin.
1: Yeah, and it's also one of those teams that there's not going to be a lot of developmental success stories on this team because everybody's so proven. So it's like, how much more can you squeeze out of Grayson Allen? How much more can you squeeze out of Pat Connaughton or Bobby Portis? I mean, everybody is pretty well set in who
0: they are um as a player. And so Yeah, you, you know, frankly, this is a team that I would imagine because they have a lot of continuity with their front office and coaching staff, and because of the way that the team is built from a salary standpoint, like they they need to really be deep in the G League game. Because they are in the they're in a they're in a time in their franchise now where they need to start manufacturing Max Struces because they just are they just need rotation guys
1: yeah Jordan Noir is going to be probably the guy I have my eye on for that um he played a role for them last season he played in 62 games and and you know actually was a rotation player for them uh, he's probably the only one I have my eye on who you could say maybe he takes a takes a bit of a leap and plays an even meaning a more meaningful role for this team but you're right I mean they are gonna to have to they're going to have to be really good around the edges when it comes to their rotation, the G League being the primary source for them. And the other thing, too, is, you know, their stars. They're going to have to be very careful. Um, not so much with Giannis. He's a tank and he's been healthy forever, knock on wood. Uh, but Chris Middleton has an injury history. Drew Holiday has an injury history. Brooke Lopez yeah, yeah, has.
0: Alongside a 30, for sure. Um, it's yeah, a big exactly. burden for those guys in the regular season. I mean, I feel really good about them. Once they get to the playoffs, those guys, because we talk about this all the time, where we're, when we talked about Toronto, when we did the Atlantic division, we were talking about how everybody is just one spot too high. Yeah. They're, to me, the epitome of each one of their guys in the pecking order is like the apex version of what you want from that guy. As in, Giannis being your franchise player. Chris Middleton, to me, is he's right there with like Paul George, as far as being like the absolute perfect number two guy. Yes. And then Drew Holiday is the absolute, even more so than Chris Middleton. Drew Holiday is the perfect number, maybe the most perfect number three guy that I can think of in a very long time in the NBA.
1: Yeah. And it's kind of the flip side of the, you know, we mentioned how awful the Vooch trade was. the bonus trade was the Drew Holiday trade. Uh, it wasn't. Yeah, well, and, and it wasn't panned at the time necessarily, but it was our kind of our first okay. well, it, but it was our first kind of, uh, not maybe not first, but one of the early, you know, unload all picks and swaps trades that we've seen and that's become the norm for you know for high-end yeah. guys in the league, but the Drew Holiday thing has worked out phenomenally well for Milwaukee and the picks that they, sh- you know, they shoveled off for Drew Holiday to New Orleans are going to be inconsequential because the picks It'll are going to be They so are late.
0: 25 and 27, so to be seen, but, um, I mean, obviously they won the championship the first year he was there, so they've won the trade already. Um, absolutely. And, you know, Drew Holiday, I I don't, I, I expect Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton to take care of themselves and be able to maintain their level for two to three more seasons. And then we'll have to just see from there if they are the type of rare players that can, Play that level into their 30s. Um, but what they do have, and this is where when the playoffs come around, it's so hard, man, to beat a team that is veteran laden like them and that, more importantly, has the belief and swagger that they will just be able to figure out a way to win. Um, and there's not a lot of teams that get to that point because it requires you to have a lot of team success. And it requires a lot of continuity. But to me, they are the team that if I am like Cleveland um, or maybe a team that's a little bit more accomplished like Philadelphia, they're the team I don't want to see because they are the team that much like the Warriors in the Western Conference, I could go into that series really believing that we have a better roster. We've had a better season than them. But when it comes down to it, I'm very scared that they will just outgrid us and find ways to win.
1: Yeah, and that's that's the thing with this team. They were a fifty-one win team last year, and you hit on the you know you hit on some of the key points about the motivation, probably in the regular season, the aging of their stars. I mean, this to me, it's a fifty-two and a half number. It is not to say that they do not have the tools, if fully healthy, to exceed this over under. I just have them right at the fifty-one win mark again, just like they were last last year. So it's an under for me, fifty or fifty-one wins. And to be fair, this team is going to have to be, to use a term you use often, they're going to have to be very judicious with how they decide to play this season out. Um, They have a a huge home court advantage in Milwaukee. So I would like to see them kind of use that as an opportunity to, you know, strategically save some minutes, you know, for games that they feel maybe they need to for seeding purposes, particularly on the road. Because um, this team at home doesn't need a whole hell of a lot from that core to make sure that they win a lot of these games.
0: And we've seen, you know, I think Coach Bud is definitely one of the better regular season coaches in the league at setting, um, you know, setting the strategy, setting the rules. Um, and just, you know, that's, that is why, you know, I was famously a Bucks doubter because I thought they were a uh, plan A team. And they were for a number of years. And that's what made their breakthrough in 21 so exciting to me, is they they really, truly ran into the wall. And we got to see in real time um, Giannis break through the wall, which is what you absolutely have to do to win a championship in this league. No team wins a championship on their plan A.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Any last thoughts on the Central before we wrap?
0: No, ended up being like we like you said at the top, more fun once we talked it through than we had initially imagined. Um, and when we speak next, I'm very excited about this. With their media day will be in the books in the NBA, there'll be some storylines to come out of that, injury updates, you know, uh, different guys getting hyped up. Uh, it, it'll be exciting. And so we have one more podcast left in this series it is the northwest division which hilariously features the timberwolves and um yeah looking forward to doing that one with you man
1: yeah it is the it is the division in the league with uh the discrepancy between the haves and the have nots is not starker in any other division um Absolutely. It is a wild five teams that we're going to cover. Uh, it'll be Tuesday, Wednesday, or Thursday of this upcoming week, depending on Rick and I scheduling. For any subscribers on call-in, be sure to subscribe so you can uh, can get our update. We will put it out in advance so people know when that's going to go live. And it'd be a fun one to get some uh, to get some activity from our from our callers because we will, you know, this one was a shade over an hour. I got to imagine that one with the Timberwolves being included is going to run an hour thirty. Would be my expectation. So yeah, definitely post.
0: Media Day, we'll have a lot to
1: talk about. For sure. All right. Great talking to you. We will be back here in a few days. Enjoy the week.
0: Yeah, take care, man.